everyone. Welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. Um, Nick Sowers. I'm in here in the po- or in the uh, podcast studio with my buddy Nate Hyatt, as well as our special guest Rob Ross. Um, I just kind of want to illustrate uh, Rob to everybody that's listening. <laughs> is he uh, he and I go to church together, and he's kind of one of those guys that uh, it's just really easy to gravitate towards him. Um, he's got a lot of like really great stories, great life experience. Um, always has some some knowledge or wisdom to impart. Um, he represents our church on the board when it comes to our church just recently um, kind of like incorporated, I guess would be the better term with a, a, another larger church. And he's kind of our voice on the board. And it was, there was never any doubt about who I think was going <laughs> to, was going to set that. <laughs> it was, it was going to, it was going to be Rob. I mean, I think he's just a natural leader. He's got some leadership experience and just uh, having conversations with him through Bible studies and stuff. I just knew, that anybody listening to that pot or listening to this podcast would gain something, garner something. And I was just really looking forward to having you on. So thanks for, for coming on. Well, I appreciate that. And, and sometimes you just need to remember if you can't dazzle them with your brilliance, you baffle them with your BS. And, <laughs> and so, so that's, uh, that may be what I'm doing here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've had, I've had lots of conversations with you and I don't think you can baffle with that much BS over that long, <laughs> long of a period. So, um, so just tell us a little bit about you, like where you grew up, where you're born and, you know, are you, do you have siblings, that kind of thing? Well, actually I'm a, I'm a Marine Corps baby. I was born in, uh, Camp Pendleton, California. Uh, my dad was in Marines and, and, uh, that was in 1955. We moved back to Northwest Kansas and, and, uh, I lived in Hayes for about the first four years of my life when my dad finished, uh, his degree as a, as a industrial arts, math counselor, uh, school system. We moved to Atwood when I was four and, and, uh, I lived there until I was 18. Um, one brother, well, actually two brothers had a little brother pass away and, and, uh, a sister. Um, my dad was, was a teacher and, and pretty active in the church and the community. Uh, mom was, uh, lots of different things, but her real love was journalism. Uh, so, well, probably 30, 40 years ago, she started her own newspaper, which is almost unheard of in a small town and, uh, been very successful with it, has sold it finally. Uh, she's 85 and only works 40 hours a week. So the work ethic part <laughs> is, is pretty easy for me to, to see. But, uh, she's been in the newspaper hall of fame for Kansas. So Kansas Press Association. So that's kind of my background. Um, I have been a teacher, uh, science, biology, chemistry, a variety of different ones. Um, I was a principal for 29 years. Um, I thought I was going to retire when we moved to Sterling from Colby. Uh, that was where I spent 29 years as a principal. Um, was retired for a whole month and, (laughs) and decided that I really couldn't stand to, to not be around kids. So, uh, I saw that Chase high school needed a science teacher. So I applied, got it. And, um, now next year, uh, because they're just, it's tough to find principals, (laughs) I heard it's also tough to find science teachers. Both. So yeah. I'm going to do both next year. I'll be part-time science teacher, part-time uh, principal at, at Chase next year. Sounds so, like two full-time jobs to me. Well, <laughs> you know. Especially um, the principal part. 
the the principal part with there's a we've got a good superintendent a good elementary principal they'll pick up a lot of that but mine role will be more the day-to-day uh evaluations walkthroughs um discipline those sort of things so and and it's a small enough school that um i i told them right off when the when the whole notion came up i told them right off i wasn't willing to give up the science teaching because i really have enjoyed that um science has always been an area that fascinated me a matter of fact from time i was a little kid i wanted to be a forest ranger and um had no intent of ever two two things in my life I was never going to do. I was never going to go to Fort Hayes State, and I was never going to go into education. And here I am, a whole bunch of years later, and and I have three degrees from Fort Hayes State. <laughs> uh, I've been in education for forty five years, so I guess I, God knew what He was going to do with me, but. Um, I got an opportunity to, to teach in, in Pretty Prairie and coach. And uh, I was only going to do it for a semester. I had a, a rotary fellowship study overseas. And and a uh, guy, really wonderful people down there, a um, guy asked me if I would be their football coach and, and science teacher. And I said, yeah, I'll do it for a semester. Well, like I said, that's been 45 years ago, so I'm, I'm still doing it. <laughs> So if we back up to you being, um, you know, born at, you said Camp Pendleton, right? Yep. So did you move around a lot as a kid then? No, no. Dad, uh, dad went in during the Korean War. Um, he was there for, for his, his stint in the Marines. Uh, so we basically, I think I can share this. Um, I always thought he was a clerk typist and, um, and played football because he had, you know, anytime I got a little bit big-headed about playing football at Hayes, um, sometimes I would be subtly reminded that he started as a freshman linebacker at KU. So a little bit, a <laughs> little, little bit better. But anyway, um, found out later what he really was doing was working in counterintelligence. And so he spent his last two years, uh, he spent more time in a tuxedo in Las Vegas and, and Reno working on counter espionage than he ever did in uniform. So once he was done, then we got out and we moved back to, to Kansas. Huh. Uh, I never knew that aspect of it. No, <laughs> I didn't either for 20 years. Well, so is Kansas home? Like that's where, yeah. like where the yeah. family's from? Well, what, what would you consider your hometown? Atwood. Okay. I, my mom and dad grew up in St. Francis, got married. He went to the Marines. Um, we moved to Atwood when I was four and I lived there for the next 14 years until I graduated and then, you know, college back and forth. So as far as a hometown, that, that would be my hometown. So you said you never wanted to do education. You never wanted to go to Fort Hayes. So what led to, was there something in your childhood or like that led to, to wanting, cause obviously Education is not something you get into to have a six-figure salary a no. year. It's definitely a calling. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what really happened as far as the as the uh, going to Fort Hayes. Um, my senior <clears throat> my senior year, um, I had a pretty good year in football. I thought that that was probably going to be the the end of sports for me, uh, and I'd also wrestled and done track. Well, 
my coach, the last game my senior year, he pulled me out at halftime, and we were winning big. And, and, I mean, big enough that the center got to play fullback and the fullback was playing tackle. And, you know, I mean, it was <laughs> it was a big win. And, and I was, why'd you pull me out? I want to play fullback. And he said, no, you're going to be playing on Saturdays. And I'm like, I'm not that good. So I was mad. Game's over. I, I was really upset because, I mean, he'd – He'd been a great coach for me. I'm like, why'd you do this to me? So the next morning, uh, I was up in the wood shop with my dad. We were finishing up some projects, and he came walking in, and he said, you still mad at me? And I said, Coach, I, I am. Why didn't you let me play that last half? And he handed me a stack of letters from colleges that had, had sent to him about me to play, and mostly they were smaller schools, and, and uh, thought I had a chance to play it. uh Colorado State and situation came up there and and so I didn't um coach from Fort Hayes came out and was just real blunt he said I'm only going to offer you an opportunity whether you make anything of that or not is up to you so I thought you know this is the first guy that shot straight with me I had one coach tell me hey if you need a little extra money we can get it to you under the table and I thought okay this is the same guy that I've heard stories about where if he doesn't want you, he runs you off. I mean, you're up at four in the morning and you run for hours until you quit. So anyway, I uh, decided I'll go to Hayes. Well, I was going to be a, a biology, actually wildlife management uh, major. Got there and and uh, after my sophomore year, um, had a couple of guys that had grad students they went to look for jobs in wildlife management, and they found nothing unless you had master's degree and two years experience, and it paid less than teaching. So I'm talking to my dad, and dad says, well, at least get your education degree. That way, then, you have something to fall back on if you if this doesn't work out. Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea, dad. So I did. So I had my teaching degree, and... Um, is in my junior year that I met my wife, and uh, Julie was a, an art education major. So we had that senior year. We student taught in Colby and, and got married um, in April, our senior year. So, like I said, I had no intention of using that uh, education degree. I was going to go into wildlife management. The master's degree through the Rotary program was going to be great, and da-da-da-da. We find out we've got a kid on the way, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and and so that's where that ended up at. Well, you and Nate have a lot in common there because Nate was really big into football and played football all the way through college and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so how how do you feel like football and sports and that kind of stuff influenced you? Oh, I think it was it. What it, the biggest thing that it did for me was it made a lot of connections and and gave you opportunities. Um, I never, ever, um, and my son still thinks I'm, maybe I didn't do wise things, but, um, my junior year, I had, uh, scouts from the Cowboys and the, the, uh, and this is junior year of college, college. Okay. Yeah. I had scouts from the Cowboys and, and Seattle. Um, I'm trying to think who I got letters from Seattle, um, San Diego, 
uh, had a chance to to try out it uh, for the Browns or the Bengals. Now you got to remember this is 1977, and I was was six four, two hundred and eighty pounds, and I was too little to play an offensive tackle then. So you can imagine now with those guys that <laughs> ever been as fast as as I was, and they're three forty. Uh, and some so, of those teams don't even exist anymore, like no. the Houston Oilers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah there there was. Uh, but it was it was provided a lot of opportunities. Um, like I said, I had a chance to to try out, and I was the summer Julie and I were living in Kentucky. She was selling books, and I was doing construction, and I was out running. And I thought about you know I have some choices to make. And the guy I, I really appreciate the scout from the the Cowboys. I said, do you think I can make it? He said, you're one of those that I worry about. And I said, what do you mean worry? And he said. Everything's good enough for you, except for your size. Well, you got to remember, this is 77, and, and steroids are rampant, and they're not even illegal. Um, fortunately, I'd had a, a roommate that had been on steroids. He'd gone from 195 pounds to 265 in about eight months, but it also cost him a kidney, a testicle. Um, I mean, he, he was in really bad shape. As a result of those. So it, for me, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going down not that road. That. But it would have been real easy to, um, you know, b- bump up that extra 40 pounds. Then you get to be in the in the big leagues. And I was just out running. I thought, you know, I've got a new wife. I really don't want to, to move all over because that's what he told me. He said, you probably can make some teams, but you'll be trade fodder. You'll be bounced around, you know. If yeah. that's the life you want. And I was like, no, I don't. So I was about three miles out on my run, and I walked back home, and, and that was called and said, no, thank you. So how how do you feel that those, like sports, affected you as far as uh, any me- mental resiliency or, or uh, you know, f- formulated you into the man that you are today? Well, sports were interesting to me um, because I saw a lot of different aspects you know, as I shared, my dad was, um, he was, he was a really good athlete. Um, he, like I said, he, he started for KU as a, as a freshman. Um, I never was pressured. The only, only thing that, and this is, will sound funny for somebody coming from Northwest Kansas. Um, I played baseball in the summer, but my big thing was the swim team. And the only time I can ever remember my dad blowing up mad at me was at a swim meet. And I had a string going that I never lost a backstroke race from the time I was eight years old until my brother beat me when I was 16. Um, but one time I was swimming just fast enough to win, not putting out any extra, just fast enough to win. I got out of the pool and thinking, okay, I won again. And my dad grabbed me and we went over behind the car and he said, I don't care whether you never win another race. I don't care anything, but you do your best or we're done. We're not going to, he said, this is about you doing your best, not about winning, not about losing. This is about you getting better and doing your best. And that always stuck with me because he had a really great perspective. Um, I was fortunate enough that he uh, was an assistant coach in wrestling my junior and senior year and, and football my senior year. And uh, 
I can remember him walking over after a, we'd won an overtime game, and and uh, he just put his arm around me. He said, "That was fun. There was no you did good, you did bad. Anything. It was hey, that was fun." So I felt like that that uh, that aspect of it. I saw that that athletics can be a good thing, but I also saw guys that you know their dad was ripping them or. Or, uh, and one guy I can remember, um, I got kicked off. Probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I got kicked off the seventh grade basketball team for skipping practice. Well, I went ahead and wrestled the rest of my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so basketball, even though I'm 6'4", was, was not a great thing for me. So, uh, but this, this one guy's son was, was in junior high, you know, if kid's bigger, he's, he's going to be good. And oh, his dad bragged him up, and and when he screwed up, he was all over him. And uh, by the kid's sophomore year, he'd quit everything and and was part of the Jim Beam team, and and uh, ended up dying as an alcoholic. And and I always look back on that, and I think, you know, the way that got handled in in different families. Uh, my dad was was athletics were something that you enjoyed and and made you better as a as an individual. And in his family, athletics were something that were were held almost holy or sacred. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've been there. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And, I mean, you see a lot of a lot of dads that like live through their kids. Absolutely, you know, like they live through their kids and them playing sports and like reliving their glory days. And you know, like they're pushing them in this direction when their kid wants to go in this direction, and it causes a lot of issues. Well, I've also seen even some kiddos that talk about. You know, uh, like, for instance, I, I know he won't care that I share this. Uh, Dan Bingle that lives there in Sterling was mm-hmm. telling me one time that he'd, he'd missed he'd missed some sort of a play in baseball. Like, he'd made an error, whatever it was. And when he got into the car, his dad slapped him around for it. Um, you know, that was kind of the, you know, so it was almost like it was that fear of, like, I want to do well because of fear versus I want to do well because it's like a you know it's fulfilling it's making me better as as a person kind of thing and I think it's it's the and that's where I really kind of want to go with this conversation with you uh, because I think that that is that is the important key here and and I think it's not just just sports but I'm talking like parenting mentoring manhood etc that's kind of what I was really you know, really wanting to focus on with you because a lot of the conversations you and I have had in Bible study and just in general, I mean, I've, I've, I've garnered a lot from it. And I don't know if Wayne told you this, but I confided in him and Wayne is our pastor, but I confided in him. I was like, I, I know that this isn't true. I know that this isn't absolute, but in my mind, it's like you and Wayne have the world all figured out. Like that's the way I picture it. <laughs> If that's the way that like I picture you two in the sense of just listening to your life experiences. And trust me, I, I have no delusions of grandeur that you're broken just like me and you have struggles and you have bills and you have all those kind of things and the worries. And so, um, you know, it's just uh, it's just one of those things where that's where I was really hoping the conversation would go to not only help me, but you know, like anybody else that may be listening. Well, I'm laughing because sometimes I think I'm kind of like Forrest Gump. Things just keep happening good. <laughs> you know, I don't have I don't have a clue what's going on. I just happen good. I, I was laughing when you were talking about the parenting and the coaching. Uh, my son and I have a good relationship, and he was one of those kids where uh, 
I, and I got a lot of this from my dad, and I, and I think it goes along with what you're saying, and especially what you'd said about parents living through it. Uh, I was a head wrestling coach at, at Liberal, and uh, we had some success. Uh, kids did a good job, and, and I was fortunate to have some really good athletes. And um, But my son was a good wrestler, and if he made it to the next level, he was going to go to state. Well, he'd already beaten all the kids that he was going to have to beat at this next level. And he came home and he said, Dad, next weekend's Trebo's birthday. And as his little buddy across the street, um, yeah, little buddy, he's now, I think, 6'6 and about 3'10. And there isn't much fat to it. But anyway, he was the little buddy. And uh, I said, well, Riley, you know that... that um, whatever level tournament, I think it was, it was sub-state, um, is next week. Oh, yeah. And the one that really kind of kicked me was he said, and you and Mom will want me to do that. So I didn't say anything more. He went back over and played at Trebo's, and two or three times that week he mentioned um, that Trebo's birthday was Saturday. And Julie and I talked, and, and uh, that's an important part. We've We've both been partners on a lot of this, and, and uh, Julie and I talked, and, and uh, so I, like Wednesday, I said, Riley, I'm really worried. What's up, Dad? Well, if if we go to that wrestling on Saturday, I may not be able to go, and your mom would have to take you and the two girls, and it'd just be a huge hassle. Are you okay if you don't go? I mean, I, I know you want to go to state, but are you okay if you don't go to to this tournament we can we can worry about state next year and uh oh yeah dad if it'll help and he goes shooting out the door i can hear him yelling trebo i'll be at the birthday party i get a phone call the next day from a guy that's that's in the kids club and he said what are you doing you're the you're the lead wrestling of person in in liberal how, how can you do that and your son not go to state because my son wants to go to a birthday party, and to me, what he's—that's more important. I said we got more years of wrestling. Oh, Rob, I don't know. Well, fortunately, a bunch of years later, I'm at uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, watching my son be an All-American, uh, Division Two All-American wrestler, and the guy that had said that was there, and, and his son had quit like sophomore year in high school, and he was there for another reason. And he said, you know, I, I realize now what you did and why it was right. And uh, so, you know, that was one of those things where that decision made because my ego wasn't going to, you know, I didn't have to send him to state because I was the wrestling coach. Uh, Riley was my son, and he wanted to go to Trebo's birthday party. Now, before I, it sounds like I'm too much of a nice guy, um, I also officiate state wrestling, wrestling tournaments. And, and, uh, I think it was his sophomore year. Uh, he'd missed going to nationals by a match or something. I don't know. So I walked in and, and, uh, when you're a, an official at state, they give you a gold medal with official and deal on the back. And as I walked by him, I just flipped him that medal and I said, there's a the gold medal from state that you never got. <laughs> well, I knew when I said it, what goes around comes around. 
So two years later when he comes, no, a year later when he comes back from, from nationals, Julie and I'd been there and watched. When he came back, he walked by me and he flips me his medal and he said, there's the all American you never were. <laughs> so, so we've, we've got that relationship and it's, and it's, it's one of mutual respect, I, I think. So, you know, athletics are, have been an important part of my life, important part of my family's life. Although I watched my, one of my granddaughter's t-ball game and I don't know. She kind of reminds me of her mom. She goes out and talks to everybody around her and sits down on the ground and makes sure that her, her shorts are nice and that she's got her pink glove and her pink bat. And it's not real <laughs> serious, but hey, what the heck? It's a lot of fun. Well, yeah. but, and, and you, if I remember correctly, you have daughters too, right? Got two girls. Yeah. Um, who got hauled all over the world to watch wrestling. Uh, <laughs> they, but, probably, they probably hate wrestling no they don't and, and the funny part was they both went to sterling and these two guys wanted to ask them both out and and so they asked them out and we'll take you to a wrestling match and they're sitting there trying to explain to the girls what wrestling is and and uh the youngest daughter <laughs> who kind of like her dad kind of a smart aleck she's the guy said now, see, when he grabbed both legs and took him down, that's a takedown. It's two points. And Gary looked at Katie and said, you know, he should have had his head on the outside instead of the inside. And he had a chance for back points off of that. He should have gotten after it. But no, he just <laughs> And the guy's looking at him and they go, we have a brother that was an All-American wrestler and our dad's been an official and a coach. And, uh, <laughs> we've seen more matches than you've ever seen. Uh, one, of, one of the fascinating stories that you told me, um, well, you told all of us uh, in, in our Bible study was when your son went to basically kind of like he was kind of making his college decisions. And, and I might be getting the story a little wrong, but... Anyway, you said it was pretty common for parents to go up to the coaches oh. and tell the and tell the coaches that their kids the best kid, they're going to be the most amazing and all that other kind of stuff, but you did it a little differently. Can you can you kind of relay that story? Yeah, that uh that was a, an interesting day for Julie. Julie and I and, and Riley went and and we hit two different colleges and one of them it was Carney and, and he had a chance to to wrestle there. And then the other one was, was a, a small college in, in eastern Nebraska, and they wanted him to play football. Well, he loved football, but I knew he was too small to play a linebacker and too slow to, to play a corner or a safety at the college level. And, and, but we went to both places. But while I was in talking to the, uh, to the wrestling coach, they, this was the assistant who ended up being the head coach. Um, I said, I'm just going to be real honest with you. Um, my son is not the world's greatest athlete. He's a good athlete, but he's not a great athlete. <clears throat> but the one thing I can tell you about my son is there won't be anybody in the room that will work harder than he is. I said, so what he really needs, uh, because Colby had a great wrestling program. They really did. Uh, and they wanted him to wrestle there, but he was not good enough. Uh, he needed somebody to, to teach him. Now, he got good enough. He could have more than competed in that group. But he needed time to learn, time to grow, time to get better. And uh, I knew he could do it if he'd work hard. And I knew he was going to work hard. Well, if you ask my son, uh, of all the awards that he got, um, 
RMAC champion and, and all these different things. Uh, the, the four things that he's proudest of is that he was a two-time academic All-American and that he was two-time Ironman Award. And the Ironman Award was to the, to the wrestler that worked the hardest in the room for the year, and it was voted on by the teammates. And that, it, matter of fact, it broke his mother's heart. He threw everything away except for his, his All-American plaques and his two Ironman trophies. He said, those are the only things to me that are really important, Dad. And I, I think that sums it up where he was at with, with as far as athletics. Um, so that kind of segues into the conversation um, that I was thinking about, unless there was something else I noticed you were writing. Is there oh, I was just going to say, like, I sports? went through the – my dad was my coach growing up playing football, um, and that was – Probably the most humbling part of my athletic career was having him as my coach. And it was, I mean, he was the head coach, fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, like he knew I wasn't a great athlete, not a, the greatest athlete, you know, he could have played me at quarterback, but he stuck me on the offensive line, <laughs> you know? Um, so like from the start, it was just like, like he put me in my place basically. And that's, I ended up playing left tackle at Sterling College. That was mm-hmm. where I, offensive line my whole career. I don't know, just kind of, I mean, a lot of dads would put their kids at quarterback when they're the head coach, you know, even though they're not the best athlete or not, not the most suited for that position just because that's the, the glory position or whatever, you know. How was the relationship with you and your dad when it came to sports? Was it was it like that that fear-based one or was it the one of like, I want you to be a better man kind of thing or how was it? It was more of the one, want you to be a better man type of thing. Like he never chewed me out i mean he would we would talk at the end of every game you know we'd have conversations on the way home like what i could do better this and that um but it was never like like he was trying to live through me in the glory days and a little bit i mean he enjoyed being on the sidelines like he kept statistics and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff for high school and then in college he was pretty hands-off but they came to every game except for when we went clear up to north dakota and Mayville State was where we went up there, and it was like an hour from the Canadian border, and it was the only game they missed in college. Um, so when it comes to, you know, the education and you choosing to do that for, I mean, like, so how long have you been in education total now? Well, actually, ever since I was three years old. I've been in school, but. Uh, <laughs> I meant I meant it's like teaching, teaching. 45 years <laughs> teaching and principal. Okay. And and so um, kind of what I wanted to get at was, um, you know, I guess one of the questions I have when it came to to all of this to kind of encompass it, you were talking about the, the guy that wanted to slip you the money under the table and stuff like that. Um, do you feel like, you know, your father being who he was, because you, you said he was also a, uh, was he a part-time or reserve deputy? He was a, a part-time. Okay. And so he was a law enforcement officer mm-hmm. in your hometown, and that was Atwood, right? Right. Um, which there are some interesting stories there that you tell some <laughs> yeah. things of, of you doing some bonehead things. But what, I, what I'm getting at is, is like, do you feel like, you know, not just, I mean, having a, having a mother in your life is obviously important. Uh, but as far as your father was concerned, um, do you feel like that affected your moral compass? Where, like, when you heard that whole, like, money under the table thing, it, it just, you're just like, eh, that's not for me. Yeah, that that was a that was an easy one for me. Um, I had a 
well, the guy that's actually ended up being the best man of my wedding, they brought, the coach brought in six of us. And he said, I want you six to come to my junior college. And um, when it was all done, um, he said, you two need to, I need to talk to you a little more. And that's when he said, you know, if, if money's a problem, he said, we've got some people that are some backers that are, are more than willing to provide uh, some pretty easy jobs, some, some money for you. And uh, as we were walking out, I asked, God just looked at him. I said, did you just feel like we got offered some money under the table? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. So when the coach came back um, to try to talk to us, I was in wrestling practice, and, and we just finished up, and and this guy walked into the room, or into the to the dressing room, and he said, uh, wrestling practice over? I said, yeah. And I knew he had the logo on his shirt, and I knew what was going on, and, and he didn't know who I was. And he said, I'm, uh, where are the wrestlers? And I said, no, they're in there. So I just walked on out when well, my buddy was coming out of basketball practice, and he said, did the coach get a hold of you? I said, yeah, I told him where the wrestling room was. And uh, so I just went on home, and he called and asked if he could come down. I'd already talked to Dad, and Dad said, no, no, it's not necessary. He won't be going there. So um, pretty so easy. How do you feel? How do you feel like uh, you know having your father being who he was impacted you as being the man you are today? Um, I thought about that because you'd sent me those. Um, a couple of things that that uh, I, I really feel strongly about is integrity and respect. Um, I never had to apologize for my dad's actions. Uh, he was always somebody that that um, even though you know he we weren't rich by any means. Um, but he was somebody that was respected in the community, uh, because of who he was and what he did. Um, he told me once, he said, in education, you'll never be rich, but you'll have respect. Uh, that's one of the things that kind of concerns me now is that that's changing somewhat. I think there's, there's still that respect aspect out there, but I think there's some change in that. Um, but I think the integrity part um, you know, I didn't have to worry about, was he going to embarrass somebody somehow? So, yeah, it made a big difference. How do you define masculinity, and what do you feel like it is to be a man? I think to to be a man, and, and this is really pretty scriptural. Um, you know, you look at Christ and what a servant he was. Um what what he went through, you know, everybody talks about Navy SEAL training and all these things. And none of those guys could have gone what Christ went through for us. And so I think the other part of that was um, even when he was being attacked by all the Pharisees and Sadducees, he maintained that integrity. I mean, you look at it and he didn't he didn't fight fire with fire. He fought fire with truth, and I think as far as a, as a man, uh, too much we've got. And you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I drink my coffee every morning out of a John Wayne cup, but uh, <laughs> you know, 
I wouldn't say John Wayne was a great dad. Um, he was, you know, uh, there'd be people be looking for me now, but I, I think the whole thing that, that has been, I had almost been destroyed in society is what a true vision of man is. Um, you know, it's not, it's not Mr. Macho. Um, it's not the guy that's, that's filthy rich. Um, it's, it's that guy who goes to work if he can. Uh, you know, there's some guys I, I've got one guy that I know that physically cannot. His wife goes to church every day or church goes to work every day and he can't. And yet he has attended ball games. He's done everything physically that he possibly can do. Um, once again, that integrity, that moral integrity, um, you know, I, literally I can not remember a time growing up that I heard my dad ever raise his voice to my, to my mom. Uh, matter of fact, one time my brother and my mother were arguing, uh, which I'll share something in a second about that. Uh, but anyway, um, he got mad and was going to blow by mom and he bumped into her and dad grabbed him and was holding him at arm's length and said, don't ever touch your mother again. Now, when I say holding him at arm's length, Scott was probably 160, 170 pounds. And I mean, literally his feet were off the floor. Dad was looking him square in the eye and he set him down and said, don't ever do it again. And I'm like, Ooh, I almost had the room downstairs all to myself. <laughs> Note to self for yeah, future reference. Yeah, they just keep your mind, which is, which is funny because when I said my brother argued, uh, don't ever let your kids ask your mom what you were like growing up. <laughs> That's too late. That's already happened for me. Oh man. I, I, I'm, and my, my desk, my son's always like, well, you did it. I'm like, thanks well, mom. I'm sitting there and, and one of my kids, I don't remember, said, what was it like, Granny, raising Dad and Scott and Shannon? Well, my brother's a, a geologist. Matter of fact, he, uh, when Kansas sued Nebraska and Colorado for water, that big water fight. <laughs> we were just talking about that on the way here. Mm-hmm. He was the lead geologist for Kansas. So he was, I mean, he actually got a testify in front of one of the partial Supreme Court deals. I mean, he's, he was well known for that. Um, but anyway, he always, he always wanted to argue. And, you know, black, I'll take white. You white, I'll take black. You know, whatever. Uh, and my sister, uh, when she passed away, she was, her official title was Federal Prosecuting Attorney in charge of Southwest United States organized crime and drugs. Uh, so she always had to go the, I mean, she had everything lined up. So that's what my mom told him. I thought, okay, now this is going to be good. I want to see what, and I never argued with your dad. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, my son says, what do you mean? You never argued with him? No, it didn't do any good. He was going to do what he wanted to do anyway, so why argue with him? <laughs> Thanks, Mom. That, that really helped the whole cause. Hey, going back to your sister, another cool story you told was, um, like, you guys were together for, like, what, a Thanksgiving or Christmas when they got together and made that big big bust? Oh, that wasn't good. That's why, actually, 
last Christmas, my mom, my brother, my sister-in-law, my wife, and I played Monopoly, and it's been the first time. Oh, you were talking about that bust. Well, you're talking about the one where they, they always like to get them during holidays. Well, yeah, that was, that, this is kind of, I mean, she was summa cum laude from college, Val Victorian high school class. Mom calls me and says, well, Shannon's got her big big law school finals next week. And, you know, I was always kind of the, the dummy of the family. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, this will be good. And Shannon calls me and she's almost in tears. I flunked my law school test. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, you know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Mom calls me a week later and says, did you hear about your sister? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to gloat over this one. And uh, she said, she's number one in her law class. Oh, cow. One, <laughs> once again. Once again. But no, she uh, she had a uh, – we picked her up at Christmas, my brother and I. And she kept looking at her watch. And finally she said, well, it's 6 o'clock. And I said, what's going on? This is Christmas Eve. She had had 21 members of a drug family arrested at a family get-together on Christmas Eve because she knew that their attorneys were all gone. The judge who would be able to set bail for them was all gone. So they were going to have to spend time in jail from Christmas Day to to the 2nd of January. And so she just gave all her assistance the rest of the time off because they've got this. But well, this, and she knew that all of the yeah. crime family would be together because of the holiday. Yeah. So she could make the arrests on one, one Christmas party that it all got broke up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so back, back onto the, the, the conversation at hand, another question I wanted to ask was, so, so you've spent, you, you know, your life essentially educating okay. um, in one way or another and, and, and educating, educating children. So, how how are we as men in society failing them now, and and how how do we kind of fix those issues? I think probably the biggest failure that's going on right now is that is that we're not teaching kids as men perseverance. That's the one thing I see that that kids, um, it's it's been too easy to to say, oh, I can't do that. I'll give up. And as parents, it's it's hard to see your kid fail. I'll, I'll be real honest. It, uh, you know, I, I go back to the story of my son wrestling. Uh, he got beat in the, in the uh, quarterfinals at State his senior year. And, and I remember sitting at the, the east end of the, of the Coliseum in Wichita and he's just sobbing. He said, why dad? What, what, why? I didn't have an answer. I mean, but all I could tell him was, well, you still got a chance to place third. And he did. Um, bonehead. He had four matches the second day and won all of them in overtime. He couldn't win them outright. Um, <laughs> drove me crazy. But anyway, I think that whole aspect of, of it's okay to fail, but it's not okay to stay failed. And that if you can't do something – um, don't just, just give up, you know, have a reason for, it. you know, that, uh, you know, I laugh about that getting kicked off the basketball team as a seventh grader, but that bothered me. Um, that's one of the reasons why when I went out for wrestling and, and the rest of the athletics I did, I worked hard at them, 
because it was like, okay, I need to, I don't want to get in that habit. And, and you guys have seen that, that people that, that quitting becomes easy. Um, you know, I don't have to be, I, I've got a deal that I keep on my, my board and, and I've got a, a guy that I teach with and it's got a picture of a sloth and it said, I may not be the best, but I can do my best. And I've got a deal that I post, I've posted since I was, oh gosh, probably 40 years. I put on the board every, every day for, for kids. And when I was a principal, this was my orientation speech, Ross's rules for graduation. And there's bring your stuff and be on time, da, 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 da. But the, but the big one that I always put was do your best. And your best is your best and nobody else can match it. And, and one of the things I, I tell parents and some of them, it just gets them all red eyed, but it's true. Every kid in the school is retarded in some area, but every kid in school is gifted in some area. And a big part of education is figuring out what's a kid good at. Um, I'll never forget. I had a, a friend that was, uh, he had his master's in psychology and here I'm this big school administrator and, and we're looking at his pickup and his son who had dyslexia and all sorts of reading challenges and really struggled through school. We're trying to fix this carburetor on an old pickup and he walks out, grabs two tools, two twists and a turn and a, and a little bop. And it's just running like a top. And I looked at this guy's dad and I said, yeah, boy, our degrees really did us a lot of good there. <laughs> but it's, it's that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's like that guy, the, the plumber that shows up at, at, um, Bill Walton's house and, and says, Oh yeah, I, I can fix your plumbing, you know, and, and Bill Gates is happy to pay that plumber because he can't do it himself. Well, that's what I mean. Everybody has their gifting. We just need to find out what people's gifting is. So when you talk about how it's it's the perseverance is lacking and it's easy to kind of quit and it's easy to also get into that mindset of quitting. Another thing that I think that I've seen even in my limited time uh, in this world and in public service are like fatherless and motherless homes and also um, uh, separated homes or even grandparents that are raising grandchildren. Um, is that something that you've seen? I think it's, I think it's easy to see people in today's society of like, okay, we don't get along, so we're just going to get a divorce. That, and, and, and how, how have you seen that affecting uh, kids? Um, that's it. A, a big part of it. The, the whole deal of, of family split up, um, and dad's bailing out. Yeah. You know, I'll go to the someplace else and I'll find you know, it's, it's the, the whole deal. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, my wife and I made an agreement when we first got married, there would be no divorce. There might be murder, but no, <laughs> no divorce. Um, and we came from two very different families. Uh, her mom had, had been, uh, married and, and divorced and remarried. And, and, uh, like I said, I'd never heard my parents fight, um, but I always had a tremendous amount of respect for my wife because she was not ever going to allow her kids to go through that. Uh, she was an unbelievably good mother for the simple reason 
she knew what it had done to her and how it affected her and what she had to do to get through that. So she was was always very cognizant of that aspect of it. Um, but I think the, the hanging in there, and, and you mentioned grandparents raising kids. You know, I don't know how they do it. I've got eight grandkids, and, and I'm going to have three of them this week. And it's like I'm wore out. And I'm not, I mean, I don't even do that much with them. But it's, it's well, I, t- <laughs> I got some bees. Now, that's a whole other story. But I, I got some bees. And I took my two oldest grandsons and the next oldest one with me. All I did was drive from, from Sterling to Marion. I wanted to throw them all in the back of the pickup with the bees. I mean, they were laughing. They were giggling. They were loud. They were screaming. And I'm like, I can't take any more of this. And they're good kids. I mean, I love all three of them, but they were driving me nuts. And my wife started laughing, and she goes, you going to take them this time? I said, no, I can't. But I, but I, I look at grandparents that are are raising those kids, and you know we've got the the guy in our church that's raising his, two of them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah two, two of, of them. them. And it's like, man, my hat's off to those guys because you talk about perseverance. It's easy for, it's not easy, but for me to say, okay, that's my son. I'm responsible for him. That's my daughters. I'm responsible for them. But now all of a sudden, grandkids too. And those two guys have, I mean, they stepped right up. And they, I don't know how tired they are, but my hat's off to them. And, and I see that more and more. Um, I've got a, a grandma that's raising two boys, three boys, actually. Um, they're at Chase. I tell you, the lady's great. You call her. You need help. You need something to support. She's right there. Um, I, I, great gal. And I, I can't, excuse me, I can't say how much I appreciate people that are willing, foster parents uh, that step up. And, and uh, Julie and I went to, to a Christian um, conference in, in Kansas City, and they were talking about the number of criminals, the number of dropouts, uh, the number of, of people, suicides that are, were foster kids because there's not good foster homes. And, um, you know, having been in school system, seen that whole foster system, uh, there's a lot of great foster parents out there, but there are also some equally bad ones. There, there are, but, but it's, it's like, you know, the whole system's trying to take, I mean, I, I used to get really frustrated with, with entities that were, were trying to, to set up foster homes. There's just not that many people out there willing to do it. So, um, and and you know this, Nick, from from your police stuff, you can have somebody that has really good credentials, and they're into human trafficking. They're pedophiles, or they're uh, just in it for the money. Yeah, like the, or, the, or the just cash. just they don't really the, not just, investing in the kiddo in any no, way. No, not at all. And so I think that you know when you have those people that are really willing. Uh, grandparents or whatever. I think we ought to do as a society anything and everything we can to support that. Because if you look at at divorce, one of the biggest problems that I see uh, in divorced families are lack of fathers buying in. It's just like, yep, eh, I'm out of here. 
Well, that was the next question I was going to ask. That, do, do you see? Do you see? I'm sorry. Do you see uh, like uh, women picking up picking up the slack more than men? Yes. And and you know it's unfortunately it, it kind of goes back to this whole mindset's been set. Um, you watch Leave It to Beaver, and and Ward comes home, and he deals with the kids a little bit, and. June's been with them all day, but she's got supper ready and everything, you know, and she's dressed nicely and da-da-da. You know, that attitude's wrong. But on the same token, um, the attitude of, of, well, that's her job to raise the kids. No, God gave those kids to both of you. And and I, I can't tell you the number of times that... Uh, and, you know, you got to be careful as, as a school person as far as, as hugs and stuff. But when I went from doing just middle school principal to K through 8, I always laughed about spaghetti knees. Um, when you go down to the lunchroom, and it's kindergarten, first grade, and they ask spaghetti, and they all want a hug. And you might as well plan on the knees of your pants are going to be covered <laughs> with spaghetti sauce because they're, they're, those kids want a hug. <coughs> and it's mostly little boys. It's because they don't have that man in their life to just hug them. You know, my grandkids, that's one thing I am pretty good at. I can tickle and play with them. And they love that. I mean, they, they'll, oh, don't, don't, don't do it. No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's, but kids miss that. And it's sad because um, there's just not ever been that opportunity uh, for that dad, that man influence in their life. So, you know, you, you ask them, you know, why, why does, does divorce seem to propagate more divorce? Well, it's no different than when I, I, I learned this over the years as a principal. You get some kid with a foul mouth, I can almost guarantee you're going to have a parent with a foul mouth because that's all they know. And if, if a kid grows up seeing that, that you really don't need a dad, well, the first time things get tough, he says, well, I didn't have a dad. I made it, so I'm out of here. I've actually heard that said to me yeah. before. Yeah. Or or the or the flip side of it, eh, my old man always smacked my mom around. We got we got by. No, not okay. Uh, those are things that, I mean, kids learn from example. Um, and, you know, as hard as school systems try, we can do a lot of things. But look at the number of hours that kids spend in, in what environment. And that's there's the difference. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to talk a little bit about, because my dad's parents were divorced. And his dad was, like, never at his athletic events, any of that stuff. And my dad made that conscious decision to be the dad that was going to be there, you know. And I feel like it can go both ways on that, though. Because so I would say more times than not, like... People are going the opposite direction, and they're not learning from what they saw. You know, they're just following in that same footsteps. And we actually talked about this today, about how if you don't make that conscious decision to, like, be your parents or not be your parents, you know, you're going to turn into your dad. You're going to turn into your mom. And if that's something you don't like, you know, you've got to make a conscious effort to not turn into that person. Um. You know that's funny. I I had I had a lot of reverence, a lot of respect for my dad and my mom. Um, but like you said, there's some things. 
uh, health-wise is one of the things that, you know, I uh, I inherited all the, the bad genetics with, with my family, with the Ross side of the family. Uh, the, the oldest Ross that I know of made it to like 72. So, you know, and my dad, there was times it was like, okay, he'd lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. You know, and it was like, okay, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to die at 72. Uh, I think I've got a few more things I want to do. And that's, you know, that's only six years away. Um, so, you know, it's it's those sort of choices. But I think you're really right. Your dad had to make a conscious choice. Because trust me, if you talk to your mom and dad, they're going to tell you that your mom's going to say there were some times she would like to booted him out the door. Because mm-hmm. I know my wife's thought that of me. But they made a choice. And, and a lot of that choice was due to the fact of, of the importance of, of what was going to happen to you mm-hmm. and what example could they set for you. And my mom, she grew up, um, her parents are still together, um, but in a foster family. Yeah. And there was 13 kids in the house at one point, like when my parents first started dating. Mm-hmm. And she made that conscious decision that she's not going to do that because, like, those kids all raised themselves, basically. You know, it was just a packed house and it was not not the greatest environment either but you know like they were in it for the right reasons it was just too many kids all at once you know like there can be because they had a too big a heart and and the fact that they knew that if they didn't do something those kids weren't going to get served Mm -hmm. and and those i mean it's the same thing is it you you made a good statement there it's not a good situation Mm -hmm. but what's the alternative yeah Yep, and, and, like, they have a couple kids, like the foster kids that are great, like, so come to family events, they've got a couple, they've got one that's in prison for, like, he murdered somebody, you know, one of their foster kids, and it's just, I mean, it, he, he probably spent two years at their house, so it's not like they spent the whole time at the the one place, you know, they get impressions from all over, and that, that and, and the foster system is, I mean, it takes, it takes saints to really have great foster parents you know i mean it's that's a tough tough system well i think it's also important to note that you can come from the worst of situations and be successful you can come from the worst of situations and end up in prison you can come from the best of situations you know of the leave it to beaver just to illustrate my point of of that and be successful but you can also come from the leave it to beaver and be in prison Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you said your dad made that conscious choice that like, I'm not going to do that. Like he, it, it's like repentance in scripture. Like he made that conscious effort to turn around and walk against the flow and not continue doing what it was that he was doing. Yeah. And then while well, my grandpa, I mean, he made it my dad's dad, like he didn't miss, like he came to a lot of my games and stuff. You know, I think he saw. And like, he came to your, the strongman in Salina yeah, too, right? Yeah. yeah. And he stayed there the whole time. I'm like. There's, I think he sees now some of the things that he maybe didn't do right and is trying to make up for that. You know, he comes to my game, or he came to my games, came to my sisters, and like tried to make up for that a little bit, I guess. I don't know that I'd, I'm, I'm betting it's not even making up, it's realizing what you missed. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, um, I've got a couple that are, are good friends. Um, They've been married, I don't know how many years, 
never had kids. Financially, uh, very, very well off. And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to die. And somebody's going to get all that, maybe cousins or something, I don't know. And what are they going to have to look back on? Well, we had a great marriage. We had a lot of fun. We went to, we golfed all over the U.S. And, and yeah, and, then, and you look, and you start looking at it. What, what you really start looking at is, God dang, we went to this, you know, our, our family vacations for a lot of years were watching our son or, or kids at some sort of athletic event. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was perfectly fine. And it, it was a, a family thing. So I think, Nick, you kind of hit on one of the important things I think in, in uh, the school system that I've seen is is the degrading of, of the family. And it's just sad. Um, I literally can remember the first time I saw or heard of a divorced couple when I was a sophomore in high school. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't. I mean, it was yeah. almost taboo. Oh, it was. Yeah. And <laughs> it happens all the time now. I mean, it's it's common. <laughs> well, it's common to hear people in their second, third, and fourth marriages. Mm-hmm. I've I've taught one year, and of one of the classes that I had, I had one kid that was not from a divorced family. One kid that the family was there. You know, that's that's tough on kids. It really is because they don't know who their role model is. Um, I dated a lady when I was in high school and, and she talked about her mom and just, she kind of went through multiples and I always thought, you know, how, how would, how would she be able to emulate, you know, what, what's she going to pattern her life about? That's tough. I mean, you know, that she was fortunately put into a foster home with some, with a pastor and, and he was a good guy. He didn't like me, but that was probably wise on his part. <laughs> um, but they were willing to take in in some kids, and and uh, you know the the pattern. It would have been neat if they'd have been able to do that a whole lot younger. But how how do people grow up with that sort of patterns? All they know. I don't know. Um, so so how do you feel that that we as men can affect positive change in our children? Be involved. And and I don't mean that, you know, you have to go to every ball game, but and and the other part of it is 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 what do kids see? Um, do you cheat on your taxes? You know, is that something that sit around and laugh about? Because kids hear that. Um, do you? And and I can remember this this stuck out in my mind. Um, my dad walked in put groceries down on the table, and we were sitting there, and, and uh, he pulled out his billfold and he counted. And he said, oh, gal gave me a dollar too much. Honey, I'll be back in a minute. I mean, and mom didn't say a word. I mean, it was just like, this is what's expected. Um, as far as, as treatment of, of other individuals, one of the things that really, really stuck out in my mind um my wife has a real heart for, for women, especially women that are, are struggling. And she does an exceptional job of it, too. She, she really, really, really is good at that. 
Um, I'm kind of the one that's like, uh, <laughs> you're kidding me. But anyway, um, but her empathy for people. Um, but I remember my dad. My dad was, you know, he was kind of a macho guy. But I remember we were getting ready to move to Utah for the summer. He got a math grant. We're going to study in Utah. This is a big deal. I mean, we didn't travel a lot. We didn't have a lot of money. We're going to Utah for the summer. And this guy comes walking by the street, and he's obviously a bum. I mean, that's no better way to put it. He's got his backpack, and, and Dad was out there packing, and, and the guy said uh, something about, have you got any, got any change or something like that? I remember my dad just saying, stay there. He walked in the house, got into the, the cooler that we were taking because you didn't eat out. You, you took your lunches with you, and we had this cooler packed. And he made him two big old ham sandwiches, which I'm sure that if anybody got skimped on, it was dad or mom. And he gave him two big old ham sandwiches because we probably didn't have any extra money. And uh, told him, you know, there you go. And I remember looking at that thinking, well, that's, that's nice of you. But, but that's that whole modeling, um, that integrity. I think that's what dads need to, to not just be involved with. I went to, to ball games and, and I coached my kid and told him what he needed to be and machoed him up. You know, your dad did way more when, when you said that, that he went to the game and kept stats. That impressed me more than, than coaching him. Because he wanted to be on that sideline to share that with you. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't about, yeah, we went undefeated this year. Yeah, well, he played tackle. But, yeah, we we were undefeated <laughs> this year. Now, this was, hey, I can be down on the sideline with my son. We get a share, just like my dad, the, the year that he coached. It was, boy, that was fun. And it, and it wasn't about winning or losing. It was that. And it's the same thing you were talking about. And I think sometimes we as fathers need to, to do more of that and and do more to demonstrate. Um, do you put down your wife? Do you, do you make fun of her? Um, how do you treat other people? You know, and, and like I said, kids are constantly watching how you act. And it's the same, I've found it's the same thing with as a teacher or principal, you know. How I act and, and my attitude, kids pick up on real quick. I mean, they're sponges. They're every every amount of information, anything good or bad, they're just taking that in all the time. Yeah, be around a little kid. You can say 900 words and you say one swear word in the next hour, they're going to repeat it eight times. <laughs> and mom's going to show up and go, where'd he learn that? <laughs> Well, I think I think the really phenomenal key that you really picked out because I was going to ask that question is or not ask that question, but kind of make that segue was when you talk about the involvement, it's like what you said. It's not the it's not just like this is part of being involved, but like it's not just the playing catch with them. It's not just the going out and hitting balls or just the uh, 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 taking them to sporting events and sitting in the stands. Uh, that involvement is an everyday minute by minute thing. Even um, I, I've been, you, you know, the struggles that I've been dealing with, um, uh, and I and I talk about it freely on here as well, uh, because Eli is also comfortable with that. And 
and when I was in the gym this last week, it felt slimy to be there. That's the best way I can explain it. Because I said, my place is not here in the gym. I got to go. I'm out. I need to be home. I, I need to be there. Even if I'm not there saying, hey, son, here's the secret to life, right? I mean, but just just being there. And, and if something came up or if there was a teachable moment or if there was a way I could set an example that I could be there just being being present I'll tell you some of the one you know Eli told his therapist that one of the best things that I'd ever done was one time and I didn't even know I was doing it um was was telling he was telling me some issues that he was dealing with like a friend leaving and another friend that his mom and dad were getting a divorce so he's probably going to lose another friend to that and and <clears throat> I didn't have any magical words I, I didn't have anything that like here's the wisdom that I'm going to impart that can make it better and I just listened because I didn't have anything to say. And I found that that was what he loved the most was me just listening. And so I think that it's a, it's it's key to everybody that's listening to this is it's not just the involvement in the actual going out and doing things. But it's just like you said, how do you treat how do you are you setting the example for not only your sons uh, to how, how they treat their wife? But also, if you have daughters, of what they should expect out of a man that is is when they are choosing their spouse, what are their expectations of a man? I mean, just the every day, the, the taking the dollar back to the grocery store. Well, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I, there was lots of times I should have been more involved with. Oh, yeah. You know, I, oh, was, yeah. I was chasing the coaching and the whole bit. And like I said, I've, I've been blessed, very fortunate to, to have a wife that, that a lot of involvement, but I, I think that you're right on that, Nick, about the part of, of daughters seeing what they want in a man. You know, it's, it's, uh, they'll, they'll look at that and go, uh, I don't know if I like that or not. And I think it helps. I mean, it makes a big difference. Um, so to move into the next part of that, when you were talking about, so obviously in teaching and coaching, you've also spent time mentoring uh, kiddos that aren't your own. So um, through that, like how, how do you balance your focus on your family as well as mentoring to other kids, as well as even other people in like Bible study? How, how, what's, I mean, I know there's no perfect math equation, but how, how do you kind of balance that? How do you kind of uh, uh, make sure that you're giving your family the adequate attention, but also helping your community? Well, I, I think in that situation is that, that you get the kids involved with you. Um, you know, that, that, uh, my kids were very fortunate, uh, in a lot of ways when they grew up, uh, I had a brother-in-law that had MS and was in a wheelchair the entire time. They knew him and bed fast until his death for probably the last six or seven years. They grew up with a handicapped kid or a handicapped person. So that was not an abnormal thing. That was not something that you were like, woo. Um, my son's best friend was was uh ben b-i-n tron uh an asian kid my daughter's one daughter's best friend was was uh sylvia rodriguez um i had kids babysit uh my kids that were oh my wrestlers and and they were from all walks of life blacks hispanics uh one year we had seven different languages spoken in the wrestling room at liberal 
so my kids were fortunate that they got to be involved with all of that. So when they, and, and it's been kind of neat the last few years, I've gotten in contact with a lot of my former wrestlers. And a lot of times it's more than just me. It's, I can't tell you how much your wife and kids meant to me. Um, I've got one guy that, that uh, great guy, played uh, played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he and, and Bubba, Bubba was about 340, and Travis uh, babysat one night. And my kids still laugh about it, and they laugh about it. So it was that whole involvement. And those, those were kids that just needed that extra person around. Well, my kids got to be a part of that. And they saw, and I, and I think in a lot of ways, they tried to emulate that at school. Um, another part of it is, is, is your kids are going to run into um, kids that you probably just assume they didn't hang around with. Don't ever say you can't hang around with them. Instead, offer to have them at your house. Okay, I understand that that if you're going to his house, there's going to be problems. But if if we're at our house, it's okay because we'll, we we get to set the standard. And I remember my daughter one time went to a slumber party, and they were showing some movie that she knew we didn't approve of. And she called and we took her home. And uh, I was really proud of her because, you know, that's not easy. Well, I want to go home. And we always said, use us as your excuse. But I think uh, our kids and, and daughters especially saw that this was a good opportunity. You can come to my house. You're always welcome there. And so as a result, Julie and I always tried to make them welcome there. And and so that way you're serving both the community, and my kids knew that that uh, it was not going to be a pretty thing if I found out that that they were mistreating somebody else at school. <coughs> and, and, and that kid that that you say you can't hang out with, you know, they're probably going through stuff at home, and getting them in a good environment sh- in your house, you know, that's going to help. Absolutely, with that kid too. Absolutely. You know, um, you know I had a, a friend that said, you know my son's class he said we're gonna to have to spend a lot of time with these boys because otherwise they're gonna be in trouble and they would have been they were but it would have been even worse but i also know that that sometimes as a as a parent i'll never forget this i think i shared this with you nick where i was with four of my buddies and and when you were that my age you go down highway ditches and and you you found beer bottles and pop bottles and you could sell <laughs> pop bottles for two cents and beer this. bottles for a penny and mm. we we'd got a whole bunch we, we were so i knew i had to be home for lunch so i walked on home well the other four guys went into a filling station and while the guy was in the back working on a something they stole some candy bars and and uh, they got caught and his dad's a law enforcement officer at this time. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So I'm not even there. Well, apparently the parents lined the four kids up and they just went up and down taking turns, just ripping them. And they made them work to pay off cleaning the filling station. I mean, they did it right. My dad gets home and he's just chewing a hole in me that you could drive a truck through. And I'm like, Dad, <laughs> I didn't even do it. 
And he said, but you know darn good and well that you wouldn't have been strong enough to say no. And I couldn't refute it. And I was like, he's right. And that really stuck out to me, you know, when, and, and so years later I was in college and was with some guys and, and, uh, two of us got in the back of the car and these two came out giggling and laughing and they'd shoplifted. And the other guy and I just got up and walked at home. I mean, it was halfway across Hayes, but it was like, no, I learned my lesson on that. I, I'm not going to be part of that. So, you know, you, you can influence kids, uh, in your home you can have your kids influence other kids. But I think the other part of it is, Nick, that, that goes with, you know, the time factor. Look at church. You know, that's a that's a family thing. That's not uh, an optional. And that was, we're, we're going to go as a family. Um, events that you can. And, and, of course, you know, anytime you're involved in church, it's almost always, it, it's not a matter of, of, uh, you go whenever you want or do whatever you want. It's like bring a whole family. Um, I know at Liberal, as a coach on, on Friday nights after games, um, prior to, to the group that I arrived with, they were kind of a coaches get drunk and be ready for Saturday morning film, but, you know, we're going to party tonight. And as soon as, as that group left, the new group was, no, this is a family occasion. You bring your family. The kids play together. Yeah, it's going to be midnight before they're going to get home. But it was a family deal. And it was you incorporate your family in other things. Um, so uh, I, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of like the, the timing of conversations and stuff. And one of the one of the best, I guess, parables that even you tell, even though it's not really a parable, but was uh, you, you were coaching – uh, or maybe refing one of the two for um, uh, a kid that kind of had an outburst on the mat, and then you you kind of you 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 chose some timing on that for for a number of reasons. There were some personal ones because you were angry. I didn't. But, but also, I didn't. I didn't choose any timing. God God held me out. Um, <laughs> but I I just want to segue into that using yeah. that story. Um, and and I'm gonna this just blunt as I can be. God God saved me on this one. Um, I was coaching, had a kid who was a two or three time state placer, good wrestler. And he got beat at a tournament by a kid that he had pounded several times before. And, um, as he's walking off the mat, I said, you know, what's up? And he said, I hate effing wrestling. I hate this whole thing. I, I mean, just foul mouth throws down his headgear and goes to the locker room. Well, fortunately, I had another kid up at the time. I had just gone down and killed him. I mean, I was livid. And, But as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know, I'm coaching this other kid, and I'm, I got involved with that, and I'm thinking, what, what's going on? Um, you know, something's up. So I walk into the dressing room, and he's sitting there crying. And I said, okay, Vic, what's the problem? And I know it's not wrestling. We're not talking wrestling. What's wrong? And he said, Coach, my mom got busted in old Mexico with drugs last night. I may never see her again. And and immediately that jumped to my mind of, of great, 
I was going to rip him for a stupid wrestling match, and he may not ever see his mother again. Now, the the one the other side of the coin is I throw a big fit one year because a girl that I was coaching in shot put isn't there when the buses or when the vans are leaving to go to state track, and she's going to place. I mean, she's that good. And um, she doesn't show up, and I'm ranting and raving, how could you be da-da-da-da-da? Her mom had died that night. And I'm like, I need to learn to shut up that, you know, there's, oh man, I struggle with that so much, you know, and, and that's one of my favorite sayings is, is never pass, pass up a good chance to shut up because there's a lot of times we need to just shut up and listen. Um, you know, don't, don't think you got all the answers. Just listen. Um, because 90% of the time when something happens like that, you're not the problem, um, you know, it's, it's, and I, like I've shared that I do a lot of, of wrestling officiating. And I always say that I was a better official because I was a coach before. And I'll be real honest. When I went from coaching to officiating, um, I got a letter. Of, uh, I should have gotten a letter of thank you from the Kansas Wrestling Officials Association because I was hard on officials. I mean, I was hard on them. Um, I've got a couple of buddies that refed for me. And one of them said, I hated you. You were always on my butt. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> but, you know, it's mine was because of kids. And you got to remember, coaches, parents are half crazy because of, because of their kid. This is They've lost their focus on what's important. Doesn't mean it's all wrong, but... Sometimes you just need to get your focus back. And so how, how do you, how do you balance like, you know, so I, I find myself, uh, lecturing a lot because, you know, I, I, and it comes from a place of, you know, wanting my children to be happy and successful and everything of like, I'm going to impart this wisdom on you, learn from what I did dumb so that you don't have to. But the flip side of that coin is if they don't experience some of those natural consequences, they never will learn. And, and and my son's even told me, especially when he's mad, he's like, it's a brick wall. He's like, I tune you out. He's like, I'm here you, but I'm not listening. And so how do you balance like, you know, choosing the timing of your conversations and lecturing versus like natural consequences, things like that? Uh, I'm laughing because my dad and I had these really unique arguments. Um whatever we were fighting at, I'll never forget mom walked in and we hadn't talked to each other for probably an hour. Both of us sitting there with the old pouty lip. Mom walks in and she said, you two done fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the way my dad and I fought. It was, I'd sit and stare at him and he'd stare at me. And, but it's, it's sometimes, um, you, you've got to judge. And this is what's tough about parenting. What's important? Um, another time that I thought I was going to get my brother's room and be an only son, um, <laughs> he wrecked the pickup. It was only two blocks from the house, and he ran into this guy. He ran the stop sign, ran into this guy, and he came in, and I'm standing there. I'm listening. And he said, Dad, I wrecked the pickup, and it's it's smashed, and I hit this guy, and it's my fault. And da, da, da. Did you talk to the police officer? Yeah. He, said, he told me to come get you, and then... I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be it. I get his room. Dad said, are you okay? He 
said, yeah. And he said, well, we've got lessons to learn. And I, he never raised his voice. And there was other times that he did. But I was like, he knew what was important. Um, there's sometimes we got to stop and look at, at what's important. Um, and, and you need to remember to, to a junior high kid, a pimple's life-threatening. You get to be my age and you get a pimple and it's like, well, at least my skin hadn't completely dried up. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's what's important. And, and you got to realize what's important to people. Um, you know, I can look back on, on all sorts of, of events in my life and it's like, that's no big deal. Um, but at the time, they at probably, the time, it was yeah. a real big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember we had a girl this year that broke up with her boyfriend and she was all distraught and heart throb. And I said, I just said to her, ah, there'll be a dozen more that you'll break their hearts. <laughs> and she said, yeah, but this was my first boyfriend. I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that was, that wasn't easy to go through. But, you know, it's, it's once again, take a little time and think what is, is what I'm going to say going to be building or destroying. So when when it, when do you push and when do you not? Like you said earlier in the conversation, you said that it's like easy to allow your kiddo to quit. So, um, you know, w when do you know to like push your kiddo a little bit more versus like for me, I think that with Eli, I pushed him a little too hard, uh, like in, in grade school of demanding the A's and demanding this like perfection that was unattainable, like that he, he couldn't do. And I feel like some of that has carried over into what it is now. So when do you kind of know when to push and when not? Oh, what did you think about your dad? When did he push and when didn't he? Mm, I mean, it was more uh, he, he grades. He was hand off, hands off. Like he never pushed me in that area. That was more mom. But mom, she worked at the schools that I was at, so she could look at my grades and she knew. <laughs> but um. My dad always pushed me, like, in the work ethic side of things, like, um, out working on the farm, um, just hands-on, and then, like, he would push me, like, after games. But, yeah. you, but you talk about with, like, your brother, where, you know, you were out there, you were working, you were pulling the weeds, you were sweating your ass off, your brother would be there for 30 minutes, need to go poop, and then never be seen again. <laughs> So, I mean, like, what was the difference in the pushing and, like, when, when your dad chose to and not to and that kind of stuff? Uh, I just think that he knew that, like, my mental capacity, my mental, like, toughness was a lot higher than my brother's and that I could take a lot of that, I guess. I don't know. So, again, is that more of the perspective then of, like, taking the perspective of, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn here of, of the seg, of, of, of the, what what do we stand to learn? What do we stand to gain? And, you know, like, for instance, the stuff that you and I have been talking about in the gym related to um, some work ethic of, uh, of of my kid and stuff. Of I've just been hands-off with it because it's something that Jansen needs to learn and mm -hmm. needs to do and stuff like that of, um, you know, and that kind of thing of when to talk about it and when not to talk about it, just to let it be. I th and it's, I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit of a puzzle with every kid and uh, it's just you've got to – just like the way I manage guys, you know, like you've got to be able to learn how they learn and how they can 
take that information in, you know, like certain guys, like I can give them a project and they're on it. They can get it done. You know, like they have that experience. They've had that, um, uh, I don't know, they, they can just figure it out. Where other guys, you know, like I've constantly hounded on these guys trying to get them to take more initiative and this and that. It's just, you've got to learn how it's different with every kid, I guess, every person you're working with. And, and I think that that's a really good way to put it because every kid is different. Um, you know, I've, I've shared about my brother and sister. Uh, and my little sister was, was off the chart brilliant. She was also very, very driven. Um, I mean, it was, she wanted to be, grades were important to her the whole bit. Uh, my brother was National Honor Society and my mother-in-law, I, when my daughter, one daughter was, was, uh, got inducted into National Honor Society, my parents were there, my in-laws were there and, and, uh, my mother-in-law said, this is so exciting to have somebody at National Honor Society. And my mom goes, well, Scott and, and Shannon both were in National Honor Society, weren't you? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I wasn't. <laughs> um, but I can remember, you know, I, I went through and, and grade school, grades weren't great. Drove my dad crazy because I struggled in math. And he was a math teacher and a woods teacher. Um Got to high school and, and I carried a B average and, and, uh, I always felt like I wasn't, I mean, I, I knew I was smart enough, but the nine guys that were in my physics class, my senior year in high school, there was a, a big time attorney, um, two CPAs, a doctor, a chemical engineer, a principal, a superintendent, an ag engineer and the head of a chamber of commerce in a major city. I mean, these guys were, and I, I was like, I'm not very smart. Well, the truth matter is who you're comparing to. But I remember when I got my, my master's degree, I had all A's except for one B. And, um, my mom was like, it was really good. And dad said, I always told you when it was important to him, he'd do it. And that's kind of the way, I mean, he, he set expectations, but they were realistic. And I think that is, is what's realistic. Um, you're, you've got kids and, and, you know, I'm, I look at my grandkids and I can see there's a couple of them are going to be athletes and there are a couple of them that are going to be really good students. And there's one that's just going to be entertainment value. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, but, but he'll, he'll kind of be the rob of the family. I mean, he'll, he'll be successful, but it will be through a whole different realm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, and I don't know anything about your brother. Has he found some success? Um, he works here at the store for us. Yeah. Um, he's the, he's the smart one. Yeah. Like he got a 28 on the ACT without a calculator. Like, extremely intelligent. He doesn't have the drive. Like, in school, like, he didn't have to try at all and had straight A's, like, the whole time, you know. Like, I made National Honor Society, but, like, I barely squeaked in there, you know, just barely. <laughs> I was just 
just not as gifted when it came to grades. You know, like I never worked super hard at my grades. I don't think Nickerson was that challenging of a school to graduate from. Um, but like I was like kind of B's, A's, C's here and there, like just getting by, I guess. I don't know. It's, it, he's, I think he's got a fiance now and he's starting to gain that work ethic. I think I'm starting to see it a little bit because he found something that is important to him. That's going to find out. Yep. Um, and so, uh, when we talk about that work ethic and then, you know, working towards things and then, you know, you, you having a little bit of the mental fortitude and stuff and, you know, fostering into like the leadership world, which I know that that's something that you have a lot of experience with, um, Rob is that's one thing that we aspire to on this podcast too, is like that business environment, that leadership environment as well. And so I think it's important. I've heard you twice now on this podcast, talk about being a, a leader prior to you ever having any formal title of being a leader. And I think that was important was the first, the first one was the football money situation. You could have walked out of that room and never said anything to that other guy and just been like, you know, like, Hey, like, you know, gave him the nod of like, wow, that's kind of nice. Let's do that. And he might have been might, I don't know the guy have been inclined to go. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. But you stepped up and went, you know, that, that doesn't seem right. What do you think? So it was easier for that guy to kind of go, yeah, I agree. So you kind of stepped up in a leadership standpoint there, but also the, those guys that shoplifted, you know, when you decided like, I'm getting out of the car and I'm going to walk, I'm not going to be associated with you. You stepped up again as a leader. And then the other guy like walked with you. Whereas if you kind of would have just went along with the program, then that kind of wouldn't have maybe manifested itself in the same way. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's important that like, no matter where you're at in an organization or in your family structure or in your church or in your community, you, I think you can be a leader. Um, what are, what are some of the like things that you had as, for takeaways as a leader? Like as far as some of your, the challenges and the things that you kind of learned through being a, a leader. Um, and, and I'll be real honest with you. If you had asked me. Um, as like a sophomore in high school, you know, what sort of leadership role are you ever going to have? I would have just laughed at you because I never saw myself as a leader. Um, I look back and, um, uh, things like I was, was class president. I never saw myself as a, as any sort of anything, um, like I shared with with football, I never thought I was that good a football player. Matter of fact, the funniest one, and this is not to to bring up that I was all state, but I was at a wrestling tournament. We stayed overnight. We we drove from Atwood, Kansas, to Douglas, Kansas, to to wrestle in a tournament. We rolled the van on the way, two and three quarters times, and I was the only guy. Of the of the six guys, there was two vans. Of the six guys in that van, I was the only one that didn't pin his guy that night. But I was wrestling heavyweight, and I ended up wrestling a guy in the finals that was 341 pounds, and I was a whole 205. And it was real funny, but Saturday morning, I won my match the night before. We were staying in these people's house, and this guy's got the Wichita newspaper. And he said, 
You're Rob Ross, right? Yeah. Did you know you were All-State in football? I said, what? He said, no, really. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he hands me the newspaper, and here's the Wichita Eagle Beacon All-State selections. And I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I got back home, and my coach came up to me like two days later and said, oh, I've got this for you. You were All-State. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell mom and dad. I mean, it was that my whole leadership part is, has been kind of a God sending me down the road and providing opportunities. Um, my dad uh, and, and my mom both have, have both been community leaders. And I think the, the main thing that I see good leaders doing is they're not afraid to make decisions for the good of everyone. And they're not afraid to do whatever it takes to get a job done. Um, I probably won one of the the big things I did my first week as a principal was I walked around the building with a custodian. Well, he didn't know I'd been a custodian. That was part of my jobs in high school was I was a custodian. So I was talking about different kinds of waxes and how you put them on. And he's like, you done this before? Yeah. Well, second day of school, kid pukes all over the floor. So what do you do? You clean it up. I mean, it ain't a big deal. And he comes around and he's like, what are you doing? And I noticed two or three teachers. And I said, well, I don't want anybody else puking. I'm cleaning it up. And it was that sort of, of thing that, that I had been taught if there's a job to do it, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the organization or the newest member. It doesn't matter where you fall into the category. Um, you do the job, whatever it takes to get whatever's good for the for the whole bunch. Um, if I need to, to work a few extra hours, okay, so be it. That's, that's part of being uh, – and I guess it goes back to that servant leader. Um, that's the new buzzword. Yeah, but like and, you, but like you said, that's not new. Yeah, that's I. I was in a Kansas leadership deal and servant leadership, and I looked at it and I said, "Well, why don't you just read the Bible and save all the money that we're going to spend on these trips around?" You know, <laughs> the just look at what Christ did. Not once did he ever espouse to be anything but who he was. Um, you know. He, he was not afraid to, to uh, pray with the sinner. He wasn't afraid to, I mean, you think about it, what leprosy was in those days. That You didn't get even close to him. And here he is healing him, uh, blind people. Uh, the whole thing is, is leadership really boils down to being willing to do what you feel is best for the whole group and not just you. Um I think that I've been fortunate enough to to have held some positions of, of leadership both in um, in my job and in other areas. Uh, and I think that it, it boils down to also being willing to to encourage other people. Um, you know, I I look at teachers and, and at school in Colby, um, 
I was fortunate enough to get a couple of awards. Um, one of them, I even had a state senator call me and congratulate me. And I said, what is this, a really slow day in Washington that you got to call <laughs> me? I mean, you know, I, I didn't see any need for that. But anyway, um, I got some awards. But when I got interviewed, I, I made sure, and this wasn't me trying to act humble. This is me being honest. You don't get awards for yourself. The reason I got awards is because I have a family that supported me in my job. I had teachers and staff members and, and students who performed at an exemplary level. Um, you know, it's little things like I had secretaries that they took care of me so well that, that it was like, okay, Mr. Ross, you need to, this is coming up. You need to be aware. Those guys... You know, any awards that came about was was a group award. It wasn't an individual. And I think too often today, um, we look at some of the CEOs of big companies. Companies, corporations that are doing well are being led by people that, that are trying to make the whole organization better. When you read about those guys that got fired, but they're still making $26 million off their severance pay, they didn't care about anything other than just getting out getting rich and going away so that would be my leadership hit uh, leading from the front yeah yep that's one thing i talk about at work a lot is like we've got some leaders that don't like to do the hard things you know they like to flutter around and do other things it's almost like so they don't have to do the difficult part yeah it's like it's almost like whoo i made it now i can sit back on my laurels yeah and it's like whoa uh no 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 no. but <laughs> that's completely the opposite of what you should be doing those guys aren't respected you know like they they're not gonna move up they're not gonna um like the guys aren't gonna listen to them as well you know like you've got to be able to do the hard things and lead from the front and like go into that crappy crawl space and go tear out the pipes you need to tear out or whatever, you know, like you've got to be able to do the hard things or you're not going to have the respect of those younger guys. Um, but, but I think it also helps to, to remind people of what leaders go through. Um, I've got a couple of nephews that are, are, uh, on a roofing company, roofing companies. And, um, one of them was, was sharing with me that he had some, some of his workers were disgruntled and, and you know, they weren't getting the hours that they wanted in the winter. I said, hold on. What, what have they been doing for the last two weeks? Because it was, the weather was nasty. I said, what are they, well, they've been cleaning up in the shop. I said, you very easily could have just sent them home and not paid them, right? And you're still paying their insurance, right? And how much money have you got coming in? I said, do they realize what you are doing for them because you value them? And he said, mm, probably not. I said, well, maybe you need to go tell them. Tell the one that's complaining the most. Point out to them what you're doing for them. Uh, but there also comes times that the leader's the one that's got to make the hard decisions. Uh, I remember the first teacher I had to fire. Um you know, it's your first one, and you feel like you're screwing with somebody's life. And uh, I was really nervous about it because I was a lot younger than a lot of the staff. 
and one of the veteran teachers walked by the next day and and uh, after the word was out and he looked in at me and just gave me the thumbs up so it was like okay you had the guts to make the decision um and if if you've if you've made decisions and you care about people and you care about what you're doing works out pretty easy well i think also an, an ability to say even when you did make a decision and maybe it wasn't the best one of having that ability to say my bad you know, I, I made a mistake, you know, and potentially walking it back, but also having the backbone, because that's kind of what I see in leadership in general right now is a lack of a backbone, the lack of when when you get just that that touch of pushback, everybody wants to go, OK, 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 you know, like they want to make everybody happy and and, you know, having having that ability to make a decision and then stand by it, even though it may not be the most popular one. Um one of the last years I was at Colby, I was with another administrator and he had been dealing with a grade level of teachers and they wanted to do something different. And we had already discussed that if this is how it was going to be at the start of the year, that's how it was going to be at the end of the year. And they were trying to, to push back and get the, the other administrator to change. And, uh, do it a different way and we'd already said that's not good for the whole thing that's changing horses in midstream so we're walking down the hall and he and i are talking about it and as we walk by their room two of that grade level teacher step out and said mr ross we need to talk to you about da 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 i said no we don't that discussion will be had in may and if we want to do something different next year but remember we decided as a group and i supported your decision so we're going to stay with it like I said we would and just kept walking. And he looked at me and he's like, they've been hammering me every time I walk by. Why? Why? And I said, you've got to learn that your word's your word. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't come back and say, guys, I blew this one. Anybody got any ideas? You know, I've, I've had to do that more than, than the other way. But that willingness, the other part of it is, 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 Treat people as if they have some knowledge and respect. Um, you know, give them that ability to say, hey, guys, you got any ideas how we could do this? I mean, you know, we're in a bind here. What, what do you got? Anybody got any ideas? And it's amazing some of the things they'll come up with. Yeah, you give those those people a little bit more responsibility and they can take ownership in their their yep. organization, and then that you just snowballs and. But but make darn sure that when it succeeds, that you blow the horn loud and long mm-hmm. about them. Uh, too often, I think Nick that what you're referring to is you see the opposite. Yeah, yeah we raised our profits twenty six percent this year, and it's like, and why? Well, it's because we did this, this, and this that I didn't have a clue about. Um, or look at this plaque that I got. Instead of this plaque that like maybe we got or yeah. or I don't deserve this, you all deserve this, you all did this work, not me kind of yeah. kind of mentality. Yep. So um, one of the one of the last things, and I don't know if you have anything else, but one of the last things that I wanted to bring up that I I, I struggle with is I I know in this world I'm never going to be rich, but I listen to a lot of podcasts of businessmen and their profitability and you know how much money they make and and i feel sometimes inadequate in life because i i feel like i'm not profitable in the sense of 
you know, I don't have all this, like these, these revenue streams that everybody talks about. Like you should go out and make all these revenue streams and you should have this much money and you should be investing in this and you should be planning for that. So that being said, I've always struggled with how do we measure our profitability in public service? Cause you and I both are, you know, in a public service mindset, right? We, we aren't focused on how do the number at the end of the day, we're not doing the math problem of how much money did we make? We, we focus on other things that are maybe, maybe a little intangible. Like how, you know, how do you, how do you know whether you were successful as a teacher? Like how, how do you, how do you measure your profitability in public service? Well, I've got a couple of examples. Um, you know, one is, is my father-in-law who's passed away told my kids, he said, you need to, to emulate your, your parents the way that they handle money. Well, my wife's a teacher and I've been a principal, so we're, we're not rich, rich by any means, but we're rich in, in favor from God. And I really believe that. But anyway, he said they've never borrowed money from, from anybody in the family. They've never gone bankrupt. They've never been in, you know, they've, they've taken care of, of business. And that's something that, that I had learned from, from my parents. You know, they just, you live within your means. Now, as far as your profitability, well, then you get things like uh, phone calls from kids, phone calls from people that you've helped. Uh, one of my favorites was I got a phone call, and Coach, this is, this is Howard. Howard, one of my wrestlers, what are you doing? He said, I'm living in L.A. Well, how are you doing? Yeah, da, 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 da. And he said, Coach, I just wanted to tell you, I had a son today. He said, now, I know the next thing you're going to ask me is I'm married. No, I'm not yet, but I'm going to marry his mama. But I had a son today. I said, well, Howard, congratulations. No, what I really called you, his name's Rob. Well, this this kid was not a state placer. He was not an exceptional. Um, had another kid share with me that, that uh, and this really touched my heart um he thought about killing himself because he wasn't as good as he thought he should be or you know the whole bit and and he said you know coach you came up and asked me if i'd if if i'd wrestle for you he said that was somebody stepped forward and asked me and cared about me and that you know it was things like that that so there's there's that profit level but the other part of it is I think that if you're you're satisfied, um, you got a nice house, got a red pickup. Um, you know, I'm I'm driving my. And I recently had to put up for collateral to pay bills. Yeah, <laughs> medical bills and all that good stuff. You know, but you got blessed, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, that's that's I learned, and that was all Julie tithing years ago. Uh, we've been tithers and it's, it's just like God has provided in so many different ways. And, you know, our, our kids, we had money to give them to college. And, and like I said, we've never made big money. Um, I always laughed my brother and I, one time we, we were in college and we were broke. I sold my books for $50 and that was our gas to get home. Um, Christmas presents for my mom, my dad, my sister. That's all we had. So we had a, had an agreement that uh, 
we wouldn't buy each other Christmas presents until we could afford it. And I mean, we hadn't bought each other presents for probably 20 years. And our wives finally said, you need to, you know, you guys can afford it. <laughs> but it was, it was that whole thing of, of how do you, how do you judge what you, what value it is? And I think at the, you know, one of the things that Julie and I've been blessed on is, is that, you know, God set it up when we moved from Colby, um, we'd bought a house and we got a heck of a deal on it. God had provided that. Uh, we did a lot of, a lot of elbow grease on it, got it fixed up. When we got ready to sell it, uh, we could sell it for substantially more. Uh, we, first of all, we used a second mortgage on it to pay off, to build the cabin that we now live in. And we almost had that paid off and we decided to move down here and we were going to build another building. So we sold that, that house for a substantial amount more than we paid it and used that money to build a new building. So basically we were debt free. And, but it was, it was that consistency over 30 years of, of, you know, paying off. And yeah, it's tough when your kids are young and, and things are just getting started to ever see the end. But all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we, we can actually go out twice this week and eat out, you know, <laughs> and, but it's, it's that consistency. And I think also the, the idea that, okay, you know, my pickup, a 2005 with 215,000 miles on it, and the windows taped up, but Hey, gets me to and from school. Yeah. So, you know, things like that have never, not ever been extravagant. I'll put it that way. But once again, <clears throat> Your profitability is going to be when you see Eli walk across the stage or Eli brings home that cute little gal and says, Dad, I want you to, to meet Susie, the girl of my dreams, or or when you're sitting there holding that grandchild for the first time. That's where your profit comes from. Yeah, I'm looking forward to those days because right now the that minute-by-minute, minute, day-by-day has been an interesting time. <clears throat> Diamonds are made under pressure. <laughs> There you go. Good one. Uh, That's what I tell myself a lot. <laughs> well, I just want to really thank you for taking the time to come by. I mean, this has been a really great conversation. These are things that kind of have been bouncing around. Um, but, you know, when we get into the Bible study and there's six or eight of us in the room and then we end up going here and going there and, yeah. you know, and those kind of things. And, and not that those conversations were bad because they were phenomenal conversations. But these are things that have just been popping around. And like I said, it's easy it's easy to kind of to gravitate towards you and just uh, uh, that ambiance that you kind of bring and and the experiences that you've had to to want to like bounce those things off and learn from them. So I always, I always find it interesting because I don't see myself as a very interesting person. I would disagree. Well, I, I, and and <laughs> you know, and and we've shared we've got the one guy that's in our Bible study. It just fascinates me. But I I still remember him saying. You just, you were a guy I wanted to get to know. I'm thinking, I don't have half the story you have. I yeah. mean, you, you got a story, buddy. I say, I think we should have Mike on the podcast for sure. That would oh, be cool. he's, you know, God has blessed him abundantly. And, uh, he's just, he's just got a neat perspective on life. And he's not afraid to talk about it. No. He doesn't hide behind it either. No, no, he's as, he's as plain as day. Well, once again, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, you want to take it away from here, homie? 
Sure. Yep. We appreciate you coming on. It was a <laughs> it was a fun conversation. So yeah, you didn't get to say much. <laughs> it's all right. We we enjoy it. So all we right. have our own podcast. Is there anything else that you did want to say uh, or questions that you no, wanted to ask? I, okay. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there thinking he he BS long enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a good conversation, and there's going to be people are going to learn a lot from this and. I know I learned things from this, and there were some of even the stories that I'd already heard. <clears throat> yep. So yeah, well, just as long as we don't get the Sam Elliott part. I've got kids at school, and they're like, "You know, you sound like Sam Elliott," <laughs> and I'm laughing because the and, and the mustache part. Yeah, right. I agree with the mustache. And I I was laughing because I said, "Oh, I'm sure Sam Elliott gets all the time. You know, you look like Rob Ross and sound like you." <laughs> So I go into a store in Hutch to look at some furniture, and I'm asking the guy's question. This girl comes up, and she goes, I know you don't know me, but do you know who you And Julie starts laughing, and she goes, Sam Elliott? How did you know that? Because <laughs> that's not the first time we've heard it. Yeah. Okay. Well, well thanks, guys. Yep, thank you. And uh, thanks for listening to the Higher Points, guys. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving this episode a share, you know. Leave us a review, like us uh, on Instagram, Facebook, you know, those, uh, that really goes a long ways for us. So we appreciate you listening and we hope you have a good week. Thanks guys. See you later.